0: Uh, This is a lot of what we're going to be talking about today in Romans 16, Uh, so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles there with me. Uh, I also want to remind you about the handout that uh, is either in your bulletin or was handed to you on the way in. If you do not have one of those handouts that says the people of Romans 16, I want you to raise your hand and get one so you can take it home with you uh, today. This is going to have a lot of bearing on the kinds of relationships that we have with each other, the kind of relationship that we have with our God because our Lord has redeemed us. He has reconciled us to, to uh, God the Father. Uh, he has uh, made our broken relationship with Him uh, unbroken, and also our relationship with each other unbroken. We are reconciled to each other. And so, as we turn to Romans chapter 16, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Many of us are familiar with this background. Uh, The author of Romans is uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, but through Paul. Uh, He is writing this letter in the year 57 AD uh, from a city called Corinth in Greece which is about 750 miles as the crow flies from the city of Rome in Italy. So uh, it's a long way off, and so he's uh, writing uh, to, the Rome, uh, to, to the believers in Rome. Uh, the believers in Rome are uh, not very many at this point. Uh, the church is fledgling at this point in uh, the city of Rome. Uh, Rome is uh, a big place, it's a great metropolis, it's a bustling place of, a, of more than one million people. And so this is about the size of, of Dallas, Texas or so, uh, except without the cowboy hats, Ernest, wherever you are. And, uh, and maybe a little bit bigger than Charlotte, North Carolina without the NASCAR track, right? Uh, it's got some horse tracks probably and uh, some amphitheaters, and we know what went on uh, in some of those places. Uh, partly because we also know that the emperor at the time was a very brutal man named Nero, and uh, he would put a hurtin' on you if you disagreed with him, and Christians were one of his favorite targets. And so the religious life in Rome is dominated by, by the Roman religion, uh, by the gods of the Roman religion. And so uh, people were constantly trying to please these gods. That that was their, their job in life is to try to please them uh, so they would uh, uh, attain some kind of blessing from these gods. And so the government and uh, the people of Rome were hostile to the Christian faith because the Christian faith is about a God who has done something for us, who has reconciled us to him rather than our reconciling ourselves uh, to God. And so Paul writes, sits down to write this letter. He has a scribe with him named Tertius, which he, we will see who we will see in this uh, passage. Uh, he's writing these things down for him. You can almost envision uh, Paul uh, either on his knees or or sitting down and praying as he as he tells Tertius what to write down and so He's writing to these believers in Rome, this, this small uh, uh, group of, of several home churches. Uh, we don't know how many people total uh, that we're talking about, but uh, it may have been quite a few, but, but probably not very many, uh, given uh, the fact that Paul had not yet visited Rome to help them out. And so he's writing this letter to them uh, that is so full of towering doctrine and theology, Any of us who even read through the letter uh, end up scratching our heads over it because there are some controversial things in there. There are some things that are difficult for us to understand. If you've ever taken a deeper dive into the letter to the Romans, you know uh, that the doctrine and theology that is presented in this letter is amazing, to say the least. And so Paul is writing all of this so that some real people with real lives and real concerns, and a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ can understand their God in a, on a deeper level. He's writing to them uh, because he loves them and he longs to go visit them in Rome uh, so that they'll be well equipped to witness in this very environment, this pagan city uh, that is so far from Christ. Now this letter has been called the most important letter ever written and here I thought that I'd written some important letters this is the most important letter ever written by some people's estimation and when you read it uh, it's hard to argue with that it is a, an amazing document now in, from the get-go in chapter one Paul declares what his theme is his, his purpose for writing And beginning in verse 16 of chapter 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so, uh, in the rest of, of this letter to the Romans Paul is explaining the power of the gospel to save, and he lays out these these incredible and profound doctrines about human sin and and the anger of God towards sin, of justification by faith, and of how uh, we've been made dead to sin and alive to Christ by faith in Christ, and how God is not going to break his covenant with his chosen people. And finally, The bottom line for all of us is that we ought to be living the good news. This is what our lives are all about. And and this is exactly what Pastor John was showing us a couple weeks ago in chapter 15 of Romans. That we should be praying that God would move in us and through us and that he would change us so that we can see God at work, uh, not only in our midst, but in our community. And so John went on to say this. He says... uh, that, uh, that our times together on Sunday morning uh, should be a time of nourishment and equipping. We should be equipped to live the gospel out there in the community. We do minister to each other, he said, but the reason the relationship is there is to be a demonstration to the outside world of the power and the presence of God among his people. Amen, amen. And so as Paul is articulating all of these profound truths in this, in this towering letter, this most important letter ever written, uh, he wants the Roman Christians, the Christians in Rome, uh, to become that kind of demonstration. Paul wants us to become that kind of demonstration of the power of God to save. But here's what happens when we study a letter like Romans, because it's so full of meat and so full of complex arguments. We tend to, to focus so much on those arguments, and rightly so. We, we need to. We need to understand those things. But as we focus on those things, it's really easy for us to miss what Paul says in the beginning of the letter and at the end of the letter. And these are things that are just as important and just as profound, uh, things that that we need to to, uh, contemplate and understand. And this is what he talks about in terms of our relationships with each other. the, the, The Roman church had a deep and loving relationship with Paul. And they had a deep and loving relationship with each other as well. They really were a demonstration of God's power and presence in the way that their relationships worked. They were a a demonstration of the fact that that they, their, their relationships with each other, their relationship to Christ, that was the launching pad for their proclamation of the gospel, whether it was to each other or to the lost. John's been talking lately about how we are better together This is part of what that means. We are better together when all of us are striving after Christ, are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, when we're pursuing the gospel uh, in each other's lives and and into, into this community. And so... As Paul sits down to write this letter, he's, he, he's not like a professor who's, who's spewing a bunch of information at, at his students through a fire hose and hoping that they're going to catch enough of it so they can pass the written exam at the end. This isn't an intellectual exercise for Paul. He's preaching these great doctrines because he loves the people he's writing to. He's preaching these great doctrines because he wants people who don't know Christ to know Christ. And it is through those doctrines and through that theology that they will know him and be able to follow him and be able to have the kind of faith that they need to be able to endure. And so we see Paul's love for the people at the very beginning of his letter, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 1. Listen to this. This is what Paul says. and mine. This is the Apostle Paul, this, this great man of the faith who's written so much of the New Testament, this, this man to whom Jesus himself appeared to one day and changed his life forever. This great man is looking for a relationship, as we're going to see, with slaves with people of high rank and everybody in between, people just like you and me, little people, big people in terms of their reputations and their status in life. He doesn't care who they are. What he cares about is the fact that they've been washed clean by the same blood. You see, God didn't reserve a special kind of blood for rich people or people of fame or or high status and a different kind of blood for those of us who are lower status. It is the same blood that has washed us all clean. It is the same blood that has saved us. It is the same Lord who sent our Savior to us. It is the same Holy Spirit who dwells in all of us. And because of that, all of us are equal, no matter what we look like, no matter whether we are male or female, we are equal in the sight of God because we are all image bearers of God. And so Paul, as much as he wants to rub off on the church in Rome, he wants them to rub off on him too. And so I hope that's our attitude as we look around the room today. Even the people that you don't know right now. I hope that, that if you have some inkling that they're a believer, that you desire for their presence here. That you desire uh, for them to rub off on you, to be able to speak the gospel into your life. And I hope that you desire to speak into theirs as well. This is a, the, the gospel is always a mutual thing. This is always something that we live out together. This is something uh, that we do together. The gospel is as much action as it is anything else. And one of the ways that we demonstrate that is by mutually encouraging each other's faith. This is what Paul is driving at. And at the heart of all of this is the fact that he loves these people deeply. He doesn't know them all. He's not met all of these people. But he's heard about them. And as we're going to see as we go through some of this list of people, he's heard about the work that they're doing, about their faithfulness. But some of them he's spent some time with. He's been in prison with some of them. He's ministered the gospel in hostile places with some of them as well. And so Paul approaches these people, yes, as an apostle, but also as an equal before God. And so at the end of this letter, after, after meditating and contemplating and explaining all of these lofty uh, uh, doctrines and, and explaining all of this complex theology, Paul returns his attention to the individuals that he's writing to. He wants the people who are the Roman church to know that they're loved and appreciated and cared for. He greets a lot of them by name. He knows who they are. Think of what a great comfort that would be in a day before texting and email and even dependable uh, snail mail service to hear that somebody almost a thousand miles away is thinking about you and praying for you, that somebody loves you and appreciates you and wants to make sure that you are cared for and acknowledged. And ultimately, what Paul wants them to understand is that it is their union in Christ that is their bond with each other. That's what brings them together, people from all walks of life, just like we have in this room. We have people from all different occupations. We have some people who are newer Christians than others. We have people from different backgrounds, but we've all been washed by the same blood. And so here we are together. Here we are together. And so Paul wants them to understand that that union that they already have in Christ, because Christ has joined them together with his blood. Christ has joined us together by his blood. He wants them to understand that that's the reason we come together. That's the reason we build relationships with each other. I belong to all kinds of different organizations. You know, I was a photojournalist at one time, so I was even the president of the Virginia News Photographers Association. Sounds a whole lot more impressive than it was. But uh, uh, I've been a a member of a motorcycle club because I, you know, ride my motorcycle and stuff like that. And, you know, you can only talk about motorcycles but for so long. You can only talk about how to make a good picture but for so long. But you know what? we can talk about how to love Christ more forever and ever and ever. And that's what we've already begun to do because Christ is eternal and God is is huge, to say the least. He is infinite in all of his attributes. And we're gonna be spending eternity continuing to learn about how great our God is. And so when we come together for fellowship, that's what we're doing. We're already learning that. God uses uh, each of us to help accomplish that, and that's what we're going to see. So anyway, I'm beginning to ramble. Back to the big idea of Romans uh, 16. I think think the best way that we can sum up what's going on here is that birds of a feather flock together. We can't help it. We're Christians, so we want to be together. We want to be with people who are of a like mind and a like heart. And because we are Christian birds, this means three things about us. Uh, First of all, it means that we ought to be building intimate relationships based on our union in Christ. Uh, uh, Second of all, it means that we minister to each other based on our union in Christ. And lastly, we proclaim the gospel together based on our union in Christ. Are you beginning to catch on here? Everything about our lives is based on the fact that Christ has died for us and he has risen and he has ascended into heaven and given us the hope of eternal life. That's what our lives are about and everything that we do is based on that restored relationship we have with our God because of what he has done. And so let's go ahead and and turn now to to Romans 16, and and let's see what we can learn about our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, and how that plays out in our lives. Let me read Romans 16 for us. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancriai, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my be- beloved Epanidas, Ep- who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. And greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophina and Trephosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosapater, my kinsman. And then... Tertius uh, gets permission from Paul here probably uh, to make a couple greetings of his own and so uh, he says I Tertius in verse 22 who wrote this letter greet you in the Lord. Gaius who is host to me and to the whole church greets you. Erastus the city treasurer and our brother Cordus greet you and then Paul picks up again and there's this beautiful doxology. Amen. Did you catch all of that? <laughs> there's a lot in here. As we're going to see, there's 35 people that are named specifically in this passage, and there's a whole lot more who are implied. And so this is what I do when I, when I see a passage like this Uh, where there's a whole lot there I first just try to figure out what's going on and one way to do it with this passage is to is to take a look at it by the numbers so we can get to know the people that Paul is writing to and naming and so again you can look at your handout and follow along here there are 26 men that uh, Paul and Tertius greet there are also nine women Nine women, including Phoebe, who uh, Paul has entrusted with an inv- a very important duty of carrying the most important letter ever written, 750 miles through storms and a whole lot of hiking and a boat trip to deliver this letter to the Roman Christians. She, had, In her hometown of Con- uh she is... Uh, Uh, exercising her gift of being a hostess, of hosting the many Christians who went through that port city. This is near Corinth, back in Greece. Uh, And so Paul acknowledges that, that she is exercising one of her gifts, a very important gift, a gift that is vital to the life of the church. And so Paul is wanting the believers in Rome to extend the hand of fellowship to her in like manner and to be hospitable to her. And so, as we said, there are 35 people who are listed here, most of them by name. Among them are three slaves. In those days, slaves were counted as members of a household. And so, uh, there are probably other slaves that Paul is greeting when he, when he greets a, 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 either a home church or, uh, or a family. And you see this a few times in, uh, in the passage. One of the people we think is a slave in this passage is because his name implies it. It's a popular name for slaves is Ampliatus in verse eight. And Paul calls him beloved. You see, it doesn't matter your station in life. You are beloved if you belong to the Lord because you are beloved to him, because you are beloved to Christ, because you have been bought with the most precious thing in the entire universe, the life of our Lord. He poured out his life for you. And so all of us are valuable in the Lord because of what Christ has done. Now, there are also several kinsmen of Paul that he mentions. Uh, These are fellow believing Jews. And there are at least four people that Paul and uh, Tertius list that we can uh, surmise are of pretty high rank or high responsibility in their secular life. Uh, Tertius is the one who who brings up Erastus the the city treasurer in verse twenty three he 's most likely the treasurer of the city of Corinth. This is a very high position it 's a very uh, uh, a position of, of a great deal of responsibility and so do you see what 's going on here the The high Uh, Status folks are saying hello to the low status and vice versa. There's a connectedness here, all because we belong to Christ. And so Paul describes all of them as beloved, both men and women, both to him and to the church. They are beloved people, they are beloved to one another. He ranks both men and women as valuable workers in the Lord. Every single one of us, male or female, has a very important role to play in. Speaking the Gospel into each other 's lives and in proclaiming the Gospel to this community, and so we see this uh, uh, in in several cases there 's Prisca and Aquila in verses three and four Prisca is another iteration of the of the name Priscilla. And so this is the same Priscilla in Aquila that we see in Acts 18, where uh, they hear Apollo speaking and he's got a lot of things right, but he's got a few things wrong. And so they take him aside and they instruct him in the Christian faith. These are valuable workers in the Lord and they had also risked their lives for Paul. The implication here is that, that it, uh, it may have even saved Paul's life. And so these are, are valuable people to God, because they're working hard for the glory of God. And then in verse 6, we see a woman named Mary. We don't know anything else about her except for this one line She has worked hard for the Roman church. Wouldn't that be a great epitaph on our tombstone? Chris worked hard for the church at Warrington. Scotty worked hard for the church at Warrington. Julia worked hard for the church at Warrington. If that was the only thing that was ever said about you in the future, what a glorious thing. And this is what Paul has said about Mary. And then there's this man named Apelles in verse 10. He is a man who is, as Paul says, approved in Christ. That probably means that he'd had some kind of trial or test in his life, a great trial that tested his faith. And he came out on the other side as one who believes all the more in Jesus Christ, who trusts in him and who knows that God has cared for him through that trial. And then we can't forget the churches that are mentioned here too. Paul and Churches mention uh, at least four different churches. The three of them are home churches in Rome. And then there's the one in Concrea where Phoebe is from. And then there's finally in verse 16, this sort of shotgun blast of greeting from all of the churches, from all of the, Ro- of the Christian churches uh, in the world to the Roman churches. What a powerful greeting! You see, we can say the same thing about the other true believing churches here in town. It's why we've partnered with several other churches in town, because we are like-minded. We understand who Jesus Christ is. We understand the, the, the theology and the doctrine in Romans about who Christ is and what the gospel is. So you can see that that Paul's relationship with his fellow believers isn't a cold one. He's not just throwing a bunch of information at them. He's not writing a technical manual. This is really a kind of a love letter. He's writing to them because he loves these people dearly. And not only only does he love them deeply, but they also love each other deeply. You see what's going to happen when they receive this letter is that, that there's all these greetings in here and so the people of the churches are going to go find the Christians that are mentioned in here. They're going to find Apollos and say, hey, Paul wrote to you and he, he, he greets you and he loves you and he acknowledges that you are approved in Christ. And then there's, there's Persis, this woman whom he calls Beloved. And she's going to find out that, that Paul, 750 miles away, you know, a very, very long journey, is thinking about her and praying for her. What a wonderful thing. You see, his love for these people is deep, and their love for one another is deep. They're connected. They know one another. They're not going to have to look up in a phone directory to find out who Andronicus is. They know who he is. And they are working with him. They're working together. They're working together to see the power of the gospel in their own lives and also to see the power of the gospel to save in this huge, bustling, pagan city. You see, as we said earlier we, about the big idea of Romans 16, birds of a feather flock together. This means three things for the Christian bird. There are three essential parts of our walk with Christ since we are birds of Christ, as it were. The first thing is that we build intimate relationships based on our union in Christ. Every relationship that we have in this body is because of Jesus Christ. And we are called, by the example in Romans 16, we are called to build relationships with other people in this church. It doesn't mean you have to know everybody intimately. It doesn't mean that, that you've got to be best friends with everybody. Of course, there are going to be certain people you gravitate toward and others you don't. That's fine. We have different personalities and different makeups, and that's just fine. But there should be somebody in this church to whom you can confess your sins in a safe way. There should be somebody in this church uh, who is speaking the gospel into your life. There should be somebody in in this church to whom you are speaking the gospel. So we sit down over cups of coffee. We don't just come to church here on Sunday and go home and forget about these people around us in the pews. We figure out a way to share a meal together. We all have phones. We can call each other on the phone. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know what? I'm struggling this week. And I need help. That's what we're here to do. And this leads into this second essential part of our walk with the Lord. And that is that we minister to each other. We're not just here to be best pals we're not just here to talk about the weather or to talk about our favorite hobby we're here to undergird and sustain one another we're here to edify each other to minister to each other in our cares and our sorrows when we're when we're crying and beaten down and also to rejoice with each other when there's something to rejoice about and when we are in Christ there is always something to rejoice about amen amen But you see, we're called to minister to each other. That requires a relationship with somebody in this room, with somebody in this church. You are already connected to them by the blood of Jesus Christ, by that cross. And so we're called to live out the gospel for each other as well. And then then there's this third thing that is an essential part of our walk with Christ. And that is that we proclaim the gospel together based on our union in Christ. We share the gospel because it was shared with us. We share Jesus with people because somebody cared enough about us to share Christ with us. And so every single person in Romans 16 knew Christ because somebody had done just that. Somebody had cared enough to take them aside and you say, you need Jesus. You need the gospel. You need that cross. You need to be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb so that you can walk in a way that glorifies God. Let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you how great our God is. That's what somebody has done with every single one of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a single one of us for whom that is not true. And so we build intimate relationships with each other. We minister to each other like, like Priscilla and Aquila risk their lives and they, they, uh, they risk their lives even for, for the Gentile church. These are this is a Jewish couple. To the Jews who didn't believe, Gentiles were dogs. They were the unworthy people. And yet, Priscilla and Aquila, because they knew Jesus, they ministered to the Gentiles in a way. For which Paul says they ought to be extremely thankful. Phoebe exercised her her uh, gift of hospitality. Rufus's mother was like a mother to Paul. I imagine her, uh, you know, baking apple pies for him and you know making a sandwich for him, you know, in the morning before he goes out uh, to evangelize, and then uh, and then late at night she's folding his laundry as they sit by the fire, and she's like a mother to him. She listens to him vent and she gives him godly counsel and loves him like a mother. You see, this is the kind of relationship we have with each each other and ultimately that leads to the sharing of the gospel. And we share the gospel with whoever will listen. And this is the beautiful thing about Christian relationships. This is something that, that Leslie have, and I have seen all of our adult lives as believers. And that is the fact that a Christian relationship is always open. Always open to a new believer. Always open to a new relationship. Even with an unbeliever. Because we just simply want to share the good news with them. They're not our project. They're people we love Through Christ. And so, in Christ, because we are in Christ, these doors, not literally right now, but figuratively, are always open. They're always open. I don't care who walks through that door if they want to come here and hear the gospel. Even if they don't want to hear the gospel, I'm going to tell it to them anyway. And the Holy Spirit will have his way, right? And so, our doors are always open, both in this building and in our hearts. And so as we go out into the community, we see people who are potential brothers and sisters. This is the beautiful thing about about a Christian relationship, our relationship with our God and our relationship with each other is that we always welcome new people. But what what does all this mean, really? On a practical level, what does it mean that we're in this union in Christ? And and on a practical level, how does all this play out? Well, fortunately, Paul reminds us how in in Romans 16 and verses 17 through 20. First and foremost, uh, our union in Christ is based on the reality of who Christ is. This is what this whole letter to the Romans is about. It's based on the reality of who Christ is. And so verses 17 through 20 are a warning to hold fast to right doctrine. And it also reminds us, it also reminds us that True fellowship can only be with true believers. And so as we gather here on Sunday morning, this service is for the believer. That's who it's for. This church is for the believer so that we can come here and be edified and blessed by the fellowship. But by extension, we are also here to explain the gospel to the lost so that they can become part of the fold. So they, they can become uh, one of the sheep of the pasture of our Lord. And so Paul warns us to avoid people who cause divisions, whether they're inside the church or outside the church. We need to be careful of people who, have, uh, who cause divisions, who create obstacles and stumbling blocks to the, to the doctrines of Christ that Paul has been teaching us about. This is exactly uh, what Paul, uh, Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos. Uh, he was preaching something that wasn't quite right. And here's the lesson from that for all of us, is we need to be teachable. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get stuff wrong sometimes. Of course we will. We all do. Even Pastor John gets something wrong once in a while, right? All right. So we all get things wrong, but we all need to be teachable. And we need to humble ourselves before the word of God and not try to change the word of God but allow it to change us. Does that sound familiar too? All right. So uh, that's the way we go about that but there are certain people who will not listen to the truth and in fact who try to lead us astray and this is what Paul is is talking about here. He's, he, th- these are people who teach contrary to these great doctrines that Paul has been teaching and in verse 18 he says that People like that are not serving Christ, but they're serving themselves. And they end up deceiving the naive into disbelieving the truth and believing a lie instead. And that can have eternal consequences. And so in verse 19, Paul rejoices over the Roman church's obedience to the gospel. In other words, he's acknowledging uh, that that they're getting it. That they understand who Christ is. They understand the gospel. And hopefully by his letter, prayerfully by his letter, they will understand who Christ is even more. And so then he explains to them that, that yes, I rejoice over your obedience to the gospel. And here's how to continue in that, uh, that obedience. He says that they should defend themselves against lies, not by becoming experts in the lie, not becoming experts in evil, but by becoming experts in the truth. In other words, read the rest of Romans. Read this letter over and over again. Wrestle with it, struggle with it, and, and humble yourself before your great God who is the author of this salvation. This is part of the obedience that James was talking about in a verse that we like to quote a lot, right? James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Pastor John uh, posted a, a really cool quote from Jonathan Edwards actually this morning on Facebook. Jonathan Edwards said, Godliness is more easily feigned in words than in actions. Godliness is more easily feigned in words than in actions. So in other words, we can look good and we can talk the talk. But if we're not doing the gospel, we're missing something, right? And maybe we're just putting on airs. Christ can see right through that. And we don't want to be like that. And so we want to learn and understand the truth by studying this letter to the Romans, the most important letter ever written, absolutely. But brothers and sisters, there is a response to what we read. There is a response to what we study. This is not an intellectual exercise. Yes, we debate these doctrines. We debate the theology in order that we might know him better through that debate. But if our goal is to create divisions or if our goal is to try to change the word and not be changed ourselves, then we're missing the boat. You see, not only do we learn and understand the truth by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, but also by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we do the truth. The gospel is something that we do. The gospel is something that we live and we live it because we've been changed by it. And we've been changed in a way that allows us to display the holiness of God, not in order that we might be saved because we can do nothing to be saved, amen? But what we do is because we've been saved. So we live the gospel uh, because we, the blood of Christ is washed us clean, right? That's why we do this. Because we've been saved and because we're enthusiastic about our God. We're full of joy because of our God. And every time we, we take that, that baby step toward holiness, we see the great blessing in it. It's a blessing that always, that always just outsizes the little step that we've taken, doesn't it? It's always a blessing to serve Christ by learning to be like him, be imitators of Christ, Paul says. And so we live the truth and we live it as well so that we can display the same grace and mercy to the world that was shown to us. When did Christ love us? After we loved him? No, it was before. Christ loved us before we loved him. And so all of this All of this is because God in his wisdom and his mercy has revealed himself to us. This is all the doing of God. We have not made this gospel up. We haven't figured all this stuff out on our own. It's because God intervened in this world and he made a way for us to be reconciled to him through his son. And if we are not reconciled to him through his son, the wrath of God remains upon us. That's what Jesus says himself. And so this this wonderful uh, uh, truth about the love of God is what this doxology in verses 25 through 7 is all about. The very last verses of this towering letter to the Romans, beginning in verse 25. forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. And I think what Paul wants us to understand as we close this letter is this, that we have a very important role in the revelation of his gospel. It is what he has made us for. We, re- we reveal the gospel to each other through our intimate relationships right here in this body. We reveal the gospel As we love other Christians, we reveal the gospel to a lost and broken world. Really, we ought not to be able to help it, but to reveal his gospel because we've been changed by it. You see, God has revealed himself to us so that we will reveal his gospel. He uses us as his tools, as his instruments to reveal himself to us. To a lost and broken world. This is exactly how it happened for us when we became believers. And so when this happens, when we become people who reveal his gospel, we become a demonstration of, of exactly what Paul was talking about in the first chapter. We become a demonstration of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so since we've been saved, we are the power, the, the demonstration of the power of God for salvation. And how does that happen? It happens through the obedience of faith, as Paul said. Elijah and Kurt shared with us the Iwana verse a little bit ago, and this has a lot to do with what Paul is talking about. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Be approved like a palace is approved. Be approved like these these beautiful believers in Romans chapter 16 with all their struggles and faults and so on, but they're washed clean. They're holy in the eyes of God because of the blood of Christ. Also do your best to be a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And so again, we look at all of these fellow workers in the gospel that Paul and Tertius mentioned. In Romans 16. And how do we do it? We do it by rightly handling the word of truth. You see, the foundation for who we are in Christ is knowing who He is. And we know who He is Because we've read Romans and because we've read 1st and 2nd Peter and because we've read Matthew, Mark and Luke and John and because we've read Isaiah and we've read Genesis and Exodus and all of these beautiful books that make up the Bible. That's how we know who Christ is. And so as God has revealed himself to us, we reveal his gospel, uh, his gospel in our connection with other believers. Here's how Jesus put it in John chapter th- 13. He was talking to his disciples, and, he, and he, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he says, you want to know how the world is going to know who you are? You want to know how the world knows that you belong to me? He said, they're going to know that you're Christians by your love for one another by your connectedness to each other, by your commitment to each other, by the way that you have intimate relationships with each other, by the way that you minister to each other, and then by the way that as a group, as a body of Christ, you go out into the community and put that love on display. That's how they'll know that you belong to me. The gospel is something that we do. It's something that we do, and so by his blood, Christ has linked us together, linked us together in a way that cannot be torn apart, and this is how, fortunately, Paul, in this great letter to the Romans, puts it. This is a familiar passage in Romans chapter 12. He puts it like this, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I think he just described the people he's writing to the people in Romans 16, right? These are people who are workers. These are people who are doers. These are people who are beloved to him. These are people who know Christ and who are responding to his gospel by using their gifts, the gifts that God has given them because they know that that's the way to bring glory to God. Well, what happens if that doesn't happen? every single church has people who are not using their gifts. Well, I know firsthand what it's like uh, to know, to, to what it's like to not have part of your body work, because I had a stroke. my whole right side didn't function the way it was supposed to. It's a terrible feeling. Some of, some of you know that in a permanent way. You've got some disabilities that are are going on in your body. And so you understand, like the rest of us perhaps cannot, how terrible it is when part of your body doesn't work the way that it should. Same thing is true in the body of Christ. What happens when some are not devoting themselves to Christ and pouring themselves out for Christ by sharing their gifts, by sharing their time, by sharing their Christian friendship, by sharing their ministry, is what they're doing is depriving this body of a great blessing. And also when we, you know, we just come here maybe once or twice a month or, or whatever, or maybe we just we zoom out of here right after the service. And then we don't see each other until next week, and we nod and put on our Jesus face. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing great, good to see you. And we go. We're depriving each other of a great blessing there as well. And I say that not to tear anybody down, but to encourage you. Because if that's you, I want you to know that being here among these people and getting to know them and maybe inviting somebody out for coffee or or lunch after the service and really getting to know each other is part of the way that God ministers to you And part of the way that God uses you to minister to others. This is the way that God has made the church. He's made us to be connected with each other. And so I just want to challenge you. That God has called every single one of us to offer ourselves. To be doers of the word. By using our gifts. Every single person in this room has a gift that can benefit and bless this body and bring glory to Christ. You see, we really are better together. We really are. And we don't want to turn that into the negative, do we? You see, our union with Christ and in Christ, our relationship with Him, our relationships to each other because of Him, all of this is our launching pad to proclaim the gospel, not only in this room, but at Bible studies and over cups of coffee and out there in the community. And so let us use our gifts, as Paul says. Let us build intimate relationships with each other. Let us minister to each other and let's proclaim the gospel together. Why? Because we already are one in Christ. We have that cross and his love and his mercy and his grace. We have eternity in common because he has reconciled us to him let's pray and then we'll go to the lord's table heavenly father i thank you and praise you for who you are i thank you that you are the god who has loved us by sending your son to save us to save us from your wrath and to deliver us from the consequences of our sin. And so, Father, I pray that that as this lesson from Romans 16 sinks into us, that because of you, we are not only saved but connected to one another, that you have given us a glorious purpose, and that is to live the gospel, not only in these walls but outside of these walls. And so, Father, we give you all honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.